Hello and welcome to the next episode of Vegan Health and Fitness Podcast. This is your host, B. Carey. Um, this is going to be a short one today because I am in Bali, Indonesia, in Ubud. And there's so many awesome things for me to do here today that I'm about to head off. But I wanted to just make a podcast real quick just to say hi and to let you guys know what I'm up to. <clears throat> and um, so I have traveled all over Thailand. I flew into Phuket, which is in the southern part of Thailand. It's the beachier area. It's an island off of the coast of uh, southern Thailand. It's the most um, frequently visited island there. Uh, it's got an area called Patong, which is where all the tourists tend to go. Was not my favorite area. <clears throat> there are some beautiful places in Phuket, but Patong, <clears throat> although the beach is beautiful, the, everything else is set up just for people who want to like party. So it's not the best place for people who want to be healthy. <clears throat> so it looked like a big bourbon street to me, having grown up near New Orleans. Um, and so it wasn't really my scene, but they, I did manage to find one vegan restaurant there called Healthy Mania. It was frequently called vegan something or other, and that's how I ended up finding it on my phone and walking across Patong to look for it. It was kind of hidden in the food court where you have to go behind this pizza place and then go into the mall and then go down a bunch of escalators into uh, the, the food court. So anyway, I have a video that I've made about all of that that I will be posting as soon as I get enough time to do some editing. Uh, but I just wanted to let people know if you're gonna be traveling into that area, you can find vegan food um, at restaurants and you can even find vegan restaurants. Uh, but it's not uh, every restaurant that's going to have vegan food because especially in Patong, they're really catering to what they think of as mainstream tourists and they think that mainstream tourists all want meat and beer. And maybe that is true to an extent, especially in that area where it seems to just attract people who um, are looking to party. But um, anyway, there are those of us who are more health-minded who um, also might find ourselves in that area. I was there because I was uh, looking for a Thai uh, massage school. And Thai massage, if you're not familiar with it, is a lot like somebody doing yoga on your body. You're fully clothed, and they call it the lazy man's yoga. I should say the lazy person's yoga. And the person who is receiving such massage gets like their legs stretched up front, back, side, uh, get really nice hip openers, get your uh, your arms stretched overhead, opening up your shoulders, um, there might be stretching on the neck area, uh, twisting of the torso, all kinds of really nice things if you like stretching uh, that help you get your body into alignment and become more limber while you're laying there relaxing and in between all those stretches there's these really nice uh, regular, more regular type massage moves. Some of it's squeezing and kneading, a lot of it is pressing on uh, energy lines of the body, which in Thai massage are known as Sen lines. You might have heard of meridian lines in traditional Chinese medicine. It's similar to that, although they're not the same lines. Uh, anyway, I wanted to study that because, as you may know, I am a yoga teacher, and uh, so Thai massage always appealed to me because it's like uh, doing adjustments on people in a, a regular yoga class, but more intensely. And of course, they're lay, laying there completely relaxed. Just It's just a really cool thing to be able to do uh, as a yoga instructor. And so some people call it uh, Thai yoga because of that, because it is so similar to yoga. So anywho, I went there looking for a school wasn't what I was looking for. There was another one that was in Phuket City. Phuket City has an amazing vegan restaurant called The Vegan Table that I highly recommend. And I think Phuket City is completely cute. So if you get the chance to go over to Phuket City, it's you can take a bus. Uh, it's very cheap. I think it's like a less than a dollar uh, in U.S. money 
to go all the way from like the airport area all the way over to Phuket City. So it's definitely something to check out. And then once you get to Phuket City, Rawai is a town that's just south of there. And there are quite a few nice vegan restaurants there. Unfortunately, I did not make it down to Rawai, but I've seen other people's YouTube videos and I really wanted to go, but I had to stay focused on my intention for this trip, which was education of not only the uh, Thai massage or Thai yoga, but also uh, really trying to learn more about herbal medicine because I have uh, been studying herbal medicine uh, for about 30 years now and studied a lot of Native American stuff and um, some Ayurvedic things and some traditional Chinese medicine things that I have books on or that I took classes on in the United States. But I wanted to come to this source, so that's why I came to Asia. And I was especially interested in traditional Thai medicine because of their because it was rooted in Buddhism, for one thing, which is a vegetarian religion, despite the fact that a lot of the practitioners think of Buddhism more as a community practice and they don't adhere to the tenet of vegetarianism. Uh, one of the top uh, tenets of Buddhism is to not kill. And so that is why you know all your monks will be vegetarian and anyone who's a serious Buddhist does tend to become vegetarian to adhere to the real spirit of Buddhism, of compassion. And so anyway, uh, Thai medicine is based on that sort of thing. There's a lot of, of traditional medicine in the Asian regions that is now known as Buddhist medicine, of all the way from Tibet, Nepal, all the way across here. You could even consider um, the roots of traditional Chinese medicine to come from Buddhism. It was, you know, from 5,000 years ago before China was communist, of course. And uh, so the, all of these types of traditional medicine have influenced each other. But the cool thing about traditional Thai medicine is that it has been a lot more influenced, I think, by um, the locals and the remedies that they had been using for thousands of years. So after, so I didn't even mention that when I first flew into Phuket, the first place I went was um, a beach that's very close to the airport. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the name of it, Nayarn. And uh, so that was a very nice beach. I think Nai means beach. And uh, that was a small community. And uh, the, the, one of the sad things that I've been discovering as I've been traveling around every time I go to a beach, there's so much plastic waste on the beach, you guys. We really have to stop using so much plastic. Like, why is plastic still being manufactured anywhere? Why are there plastic factories? Why is DuPont still making plastic when we have such an excess of plastic waste that could be recycled and reused? And at some point, we need to just you know, stop with plastic altogether and try to turn to using natural uh, containers. I mean, there is wood, there is metal, there is bamboo, there is, you know, there, there's, there's all, all sorts of other things. Uh, I love that they use uh, banana leaves and papaya leaves. Um, they're even using papaya stems as uh, straws here in uh, Bali, which is something that I would love to see happen more. Anywhere that you can have access to papayas, you should be able to have access to the stems and branches of the papaya tree, which just happen to be hollow in the middle, which make a perfect straw. And they're using those here in Bali, and it's amazing. So anyway, I wanted to share with you my experience. So anyway, when I flew in there and I went and spent time at that beach, beautiful beach, but like I said, lots of plastic. So I did ask for a trash bag from my hotel and went over and cleaned up as much as I could filling a giant plastic garbage bag again. It's plastic, but at least it's going to go away from the ocean. Um, I feel like if plastic is buried in a landfill, it's, you know, there are some things that can be problematic about it leaching into the ground. Generally, landfills are lined with plastic and supposed to uh, keep everything within the that system and not let it get into the groundwater but of course as we know plastic does leach and it does break down eventually even though sometimes it takes 
a very long time and sometimes it breaks down in ways that is just little pieces coming off and getting into the water which is not so great but anyway if I can just get that plastic away from the ocean at least it's not going to be going into the stomach of a whale or we're not gonna have straws getting stuck in the nose of a turtle I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video just very sad what happens with plastic waste when it gets uh, mixed in with our oceans and gets into uh, where the sea creatures are looking for something to eat and they see this little colorful thing floating and they might think it's a fish or you know I don't know how that straw ended up getting through the nose of a turtle but you know these crazy things happen out there in the ocean with the storms happening and and the creatures swimming around um, so anyway just if, if you're on vacation somewhere and you're at a beach I know maybe it's not quote-unquote cool or maybe it doesn't feel quite as relaxing to walk around picking up garbage while you're on your trip but really you know this is garbage that has been washed off in the ocean it's not dirty it's not gonna you know give you any kind of diseases or any harm you in any way and you can do something so nice to give back to that beach and give back to our beautiful sea creatures if you just take a few moments find whatever you can use as a container or even if you just pick up as much as you can fill your with your hands and walk over to the trash can it's such a nice thing to do so anyway did that there and then um anyway that's after that that i ended up going down to phuket city and then to patong and after being in patong i really decided okay this is not the area for me because i'm not here to party <laughs> i'm here to learn and the school that was there didn't really feel like it offered what i wanted i wanted more on the traditional thai medicine and so i discovered a place called the old medicine hospital it's up in chiang mai so I decided to jump on an airplane. I went up there. I had been hearing for, from a lot of people that Chiang Mai is the best place to learn Thai uh, massage, Thai yoga, whatever you want to call it. And that there are you know, a lot of universities in Chiang Mai. Also, Chiang Mai is very beautiful, very peaceful, um, very laid back compared to the other cities. So it sounded good to me because that's really what I was looking for is something a lot more peaceful than what I was seeing in Patong. So when I got to Chiang Mai, I went right over to the old medicine hospital, sat down and talked to a guy named Gift, who it was his family lineage that founded the old medicine hospital. And if you know anything about Thai massage, uh, this, the history is, you know, of course, it had been going on for... I guess a thousand or two thousand years or so before they decided to uh, standardize it and codify it but um, it mostly be, uh, started because all the farmers that lived in Thailand as you might know Thailand is where they grow more rice than anywhere in the world so it's always been a place that all of Asia has looked to for its rice and as you know they eat a lot of rice in Asia so that's a lot of rice and so there's a lot of farmers throughout Asia and after working in the fields all day long their backs would be tired and sore from being hunched over all day and so they would train their children to walk on their back when they came in from working on the farm and that is how Thai yoga Thai massage originated I shouldn't say Thai yoga at that point because at that point it was just the children walking around on their backs then at some point I believe the people from India were coming over and also people from Thailand were traveling over to India and then more of the stretching became incorporated and that's why we call it Thai yoga and some people even call it Ayurveda um, when they're talking about all kinds of traditional Thai medicine and believe me this yoga type this massage type is very much a medicine it is very much for healing and for health and they make it a part of their culture to get these massages on a regular basis two or three times a week or more and if you have an ailment you can go to a place that does Thai massage therapy uh, it's going to be somebody who has had uh, many years of training two two or three years I believe um, whereas if you go to a place that is more of a Thai massage for relaxation the kind of places for the tourists they will have less training and it will be a different kind of massage but if you're going in for therapy it's serious medicine um, but if you have somebody who even is doing the uh, relaxation type massage and doing it right you should be getting some stretching involved in there 
The problem is, is when a lot of tourists started coming over, and what made it really bad was when soldiers came over during the Vietnam War and the Korea War, and they were lusting after the beautiful Thai women, and they somehow managed by offering money to turn Thai massage into a prostitution type situation. And so that sort of thing does still exist. And so there's, uh, although it's, I believe it's illegal, but you'll still see beautiful women who are offering the massage in a very seductive way in a lot of places. And so I think that in some of these touristy places, the authorities must turn their heads because it does seem very blatant. But by and large, uh, throughout the whole country of Thailand, especially when you get away from the touristy areas, Thai massage is a therapeutic thing. So anyway, when it was first codified, it was in the uh, 1700s when uh, they changed the capital of Thailand to Bangkok and pulled it away from what at the time was Burma, which is now Myanmar. And there was warring going on between Thailand, or which was Siam at the time, and Burma. And so there was a lot of destruction going on of a lot of buildings and a lot of this uh, ancient texts that had the diagrams for how to perform the proper Thai therapeutic massages. And so they were trying to maintain whatever was left as best as they could so the king set up his palace and right next to his palace was this beautiful temple that had already been there called Wat Po. Now Wat means temple and Po is spelled P-H-O. Some people spell it P-O but the correct Thai spelling is P-H-O. If you ever find yourself in Bangkok you have to go there. Gorgeous temple. Um, that was where they decided to chisel in the stone many of the postures that were used for Thai massage and make sure that it would be preserved there. And uh, so there is a massage school there. It's a revered area where people come to learn about uh, Thai massage. The people who were trained there 1950s and 1960s um, were you know, trying to, to keep the Thai massage sort of thing alive. A few of them were trying to keep the massage part alive because at that point, uh, Thai uh, traditional medicine had pretty much just turned into herbs. And so there was a gentleman named Sintorn Chaichikek, and he was commissioned by the king because he was a teacher at Wat Po, and he was originally from Chiang Mai. And King Rama, I believe it was the fifth or the fourth, asked him to please uh, bring Thai massage to the people and to you know set up a Thai massage place outside of Bangkok and maybe to go back to Chiang Mai since that's where his family was. So he went back to Chiang Mai, got a little bit of money from the government, set up the old medicine hospital where they treated people with herbs um, just like in a modern hospital now, you would go in and they would give you drugs. Uh, they were using herbs because they had been using the herbs for thousands of years. They were very tried and tested. They knew what they were doing. They had a lot of success. And th so they were getting very well known for this. But also, Sintorn was very much about reviving and uh, keeping alive the massage aspect of Thai medicine. So he also began a school there. And so that is where I ended up going to learn my Thai massage, was at the Old Medicine Hospital there in Chiang Mai. They also had a bit of, of instruction on traditional Thai herbal medicine. Um, although I did seek out my own knowledge on that outside of the school because they're not practicing that medicine. They're not running it as a hospital anymore. They're only running the old medicine hospital as a massage school. And they do have a massage spa also where you can go. So if you find yourself in Chiang Mai, please go there. It's, I believe, 200 baht for an hour, which is like $6. And it will be the most amazing massage you've ever had in your life. And it's just such an amazing experience being in this historic hospital. And the women there, it's mostly women who, who do the massage. There are a couple men who do it. I shouldn't say women. The people who give the massage there, who do, are the practitioners, are really um, 
very skilled. Most of them have had uh, this uh, skill in their family for many generations and have grown up with it. They've been doing it their whole lives. And it's, it's like I said, it's a real experience. So, and they also have a steam bath there where they use certain herbs that are you know, very aromatic and wonderful and also very healing in the steam bath. So I, I definitely recommend that if you can handle going into a steam bath while you're in Thailand, which I had a little bit of trouble with that because I was there for a whole month and almost every day I said, oh, I'm going to do that steam bath either today or tomorrow. And then it would be so hot and humid outside, I could not fathom stepping into a steam room on top of that. It just seemed redundant and overkill. When I was already hot and sweaty, I just couldn't imagine it. But at the very end of my training there, after we did the uh, herbal uh, training, they wanted us to go into the steam bath to experience it. And it just so happened to be a cooler day and it was kind of overcast and we had a little bit of rain and it was just the perfect opportunity. We went in there and I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, it's an old place. It's been around, like I said, since the 60s, but it's so clean and they maintain it so well and the people there are just so lovely. And like I said, the herbs smell amazing. Uh, it was a really cool experience to do that. And after I did that, oh, oh, I didn't even mention, while I was in Chiang Mai, I found a place. I was searching like crazy, asking everybody, pestering them, asking, where can I get some traditional Thai herbs? Where can I find an apothecary? Where can I find a person who has in their family lineage this kind of knowledge that's been handed down? And people kept saying, you know they're teaching traditional Thai herbal medicine at the university is here now. But when I started looking into that, it didn't seem like they were teaching anything that was beyond what I was already familiar with. And what's interesting is they just legalized marijuana here. And marijuana is like their cool herb now. And they're recommending it for everything. And I'm very familiar with marijuana. Um, wasn't anything that I really felt like I needed to learn anything about. And, you know, they also are very keen on turmeric. There's a few other herbs that were interesting that I was hearing about that I wanted to learn more about. And I was asking about whenever I would go places where they were selling some little, you know, herbal things that were kind of prepackaged. I could tell these were not people who had uh, herbal medicine in their family for years or were growing it themselves or really understanding the plants. And, you know, so I was kind of using this as a test and I was finding that most of the people were, you know, at, at the, working at these shops, it was just like a, could have been a souvenir shop. A lot of them were selling souvenirs and cosmetics and all kinds of other things in these so-called herbal shops or pharmacies. I even contacted some people who claimed to be Thai uh, traditional medicine specialists who are in the United States. Uh, through the internet and asked them if they could recommend any places here because they claimed that they had studied in Thailand for a long time and the places that they recommended I went to and they were really just like little mainstream pharmacies with you know your normal cold medicines and aspirin and uh, you know maybe a few little plastic jars with you know garlic pills and turmeric and ginger and you know just nothing that I felt like was really teaching me anything so long story, long, I guess it's still long. Sorry about that. But that I ended up finding a place called Lana Herbs. So if you want to learn about the traditional Thai medicine and you find yourself in uh, Chiang Mai, if you can find Lana Herbs, and it, I found that the map programs were wrong a couple times. It took me hours. It took me a couple of days of spending several hours driving around to find this place. And if you drive around in Chiang Mai, you'll know that there's a lot of streets that are really narrow and there's a lot of scooters and it's, it's a crazy experience driving there. And I do drive on the left side of the road, so be aware of all of that. So I ended up finally finding this place, Lana Herbs, and it's run by this amazing woman that goes by Nom Nom. And it's, it, she is the real deal. This is something that has been in her family for countless generations, as far back as she knows. And her father has an organic farm where everything that she sells comes from. And she specializes in, I think, about 10 different herbs that she you know, has 
fresh from her father's farm and she juices them. And so, for instance, the cure for dengue fever they're learning now is green papaya leaf. And so she juices the green papaya leaf and she sells it in a glass bottle. It's kept refrigerated and she you know, makes sure that she knows you're coming and she makes it for you special so it's fresh. You're getting it the day that it's been juiced or maybe one day after, but no longer than that. I mean, she's really doing things right here. I managed to get some dried papaya leaf from her to take with me on my travels because I was telling her about how I'm going to be going around to all these different Asian countries and I know dengue is happening around here so in case I do have a bout of dengue I have my dried papaya leaf I can add some water to it and steep it and within a couple days supposedly I mean I looked at the scientific studies this is not just the locals saying this will work they've done scientific studies on this and it actually improves your blood platelet count and helps you overcome dengue much faster than just letting it run its course will. And the drugs that they have for the pharmaceuticals really don't work at all. People get hospitalized with dengue. They basically just put you on fluids and let you rest. They don't really have any drugs for you to help you. So you, you're fine to stay in your hotel room and drink uh, green papaya juice if, if you find that you have the symptoms of dengue. Uh, and people are recovering just fine on their own. Although, if you feel like you need to go to the hospital, don't let me hold you back from doing that because you know, you know best what your body needs and I don't want anybody to die in a hospital, I mean, in a hotel room, thinking that they didn't need to go to the hospital. Uh, but you, you'll know from your own judgment if you're to that severe point where you can't just rehydrate by drinking fluids that you actually need to be put on an IV drip, then you'll need to go to a hospital. But Otherwise, there's, there's not a lot they're going to be able to do for you. <clears throat> it's going to run its course. But it will run its course a lot faster if you get the green papaya leaf. So there's a lot of things like that that I've been finding. Um, there is a leaf called Symbolotto that, Symbolotto, uh, sorry, S-A-M-B-I-L-O-T-O, that is also a very good antibiotic that um, people are using um, th that one excites me also. There are a few herbs that I'm finding here. Um, some things, like I said, papaya leaf is not anything that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, most of us eat papaya fruit. Maybe you haven't heard of using the leaf, but there's a lot of plants that you know we have heard of and that we use, like hibiscus, for instance, we might use the flowers for tea. There are medicinal uses for the leaves as well. There's a, a lot of uh, things like this. The banana leaves are, are wonderful. Um, antibiotic. That's why in um, a lot of Asian countries, if you go to a traditional doctor and you have a wound, uh, instead of putting some kind of latex bandage on you, they will put a piece of banana leaf on you. Papaya leaf is also uh, antibacterial and it helps the wound heal a lot faster. There's all kinds of antioxidants that will actually come through the leaf and go into the wound and help it heal faster. So there's all these cool things that I'm learning. I'm writing it all down. I'm writing about my experiences. So anyway, after being in Chiang Mai and learning a whole bunch of cool things from Nam Nam and from the school that I went to at the Old Medicine Hospital and many other people who I talked to who have, who are Thai people who have been using the traditional Thai medicine in their families, um, I have quite a lot of information that I've written down and, and just was so grateful, but I wanted to learn more. And so I went on to Bangkok because they found out that there was a traditional Thai music, uh, Traditional Thai Medicine Museum. It's uh, just outside of Bangkok. They said it was going to be an hour and 40 minute drive east of Bangkok. It took me about five hours, but I did stop a couple times to get water and to use the bathroom, and I did get stuck in traffic. But it, yeah, it was a long, long drive, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. And um, the hotel I ended up staying at the night before was quite sketchy and nothing was written in English and nobody spoke English at all but somehow through hand gestures and uh, yeah mostly hand gestures we uh, communicated and I got a hotel room um, and survived the night in that weird sketchy hotel finally made it to this uh, really cool museum that is a functioning hospital where they are still treating patients with traditional Thai medicine with herbs and it's quite renowned in the area for having a lot of success with things like diabetes and cancer 
and uh, respiratory ailments. And so that was really cool because I got to walk around and videotape uh, the, not only the hospital that's functioning, but then they have this museum, which is in this gorgeous Baroque building. And it's got, you know, old images, or not images, but old remnants of things like old scales and old chopping mechanisms and old books, manuscripts, scrolls even. I mean, just very interesting old things uh, about the history of traditional Thai medicine. And you know, the gentleman who founded the place, uh, he and his wife uh, were very avid uh, practitioners of traditional Thai medicine and herbal medicine. And uh, this had been in his family for multiple generations and he founded the hospital. And so it was very interesting hearing about that and seeing all of that. And they have an apothecary that is still functioning where they have herbs that they grow themselves on their property, all organic, of course. And many of the herbs are dried. Some of them they have pulverized and placed into capsules. I wasn't as interested in that. They, of course, need to make medicine to keep the place going. So they have mass produced a lot of these things and put them into the little plastic bottles and they do sell them around um and they have uh, multiple stores within their uh facility there where they have fresh herbs where you can buy it in a juice or a tea and uh you, there, there are doctors there uh, traditional thai medicine doctors and these are people all the ones that i talked to were women and they have been through the university and uh, did not have traditional Thai medicine in their families. But they wished that they did. And I guess it had been lost because when in the 1950s and 60s, when Western medicine broke onto the scene in Thailand, the government there uh, decided that the people in, that have been practicing traditional Thai herbal medicine needed to stop doing that and we need they needed to accept the modern way of doing things and they actually outlawed it in many places and even if they didn't outlaw it they made it very uncomfortable for the people who were doing it by kind of shunning them and making them feel like they were doing something that was inappropriate or in some way harmful, uh, whereas people should be going to these Western doctors. Now, keep in mind, Western medicine at that point had only been around for maybe 100 years, less than 100 years, and their traditional medicine had been around for thousands of years, tried and tested. And so the arrogance of Western medicine, uh, of all things Western and, and I have noticed when it comes in, it just says, hey, we're the best, and the way you guys are doing things needs to stop, and we're going to take over. And so that's kind of what happened with Western medicine, and so it's kind of a shame. And the younger generations now, many of them anyway, are realizing they lost something so precious, and they're trying to get it back. They're trying to find the remaining old people who have memories. They're trying to find the remaining old documents that have the information and you know they're bringing them into the universities they're trying to bring it back and educate people and so they're doing it more as an integrative and complementary and they still call it a quote-unquote alternative medicine in the mainstream areas in the cities in uh, Chiang Mai or in Thailand not just in Chiang Mai but in all of Thailand but in the rural areas in many places, they're too far away from a hospital or a mainstream doctor of any kind, and they still have a village elder who performs the herbal medicine and prescribes herbs to people who are in need. And so anyway, you have a mix of that happening at this hospital that I went to, and I would tell you the name of it, but I, I have no way of pronouncing it. It is a Thai word. And the Thai word is very long and hard to say, and there's no... They don't have it written in alphanumeric letters, so there's no way for me to sound it out. But I do have a video that will be coming out, and you'll be able to see it. Anyway, they had a second location that they recommended that I go to that was a few miles away. So I went there, and they had an even more extensive farm going on. They actually have lodging there that was really nice. I wish I had known about that. That was a beautiful place. And they had another museum with even more remnants of, you know, traditional Thai medicine 
from 100, 200 years back. And again, they had another apothecary. And I got lucky that there just happened to be a traditional Thai medicine doctor there who spoke English. Normally, there's not. And she goes by the name Fish. And she was really cool. We had a very long conversation. And I was talking to her about different scientific articles that I found. And I was especially interested in one that I found about this monastery that's north of there where they were bringing in uh, people using the place as a hospice. And the monks were, have, you know, they're, like I said, they're out in a rural area. And these monks are the ones that have been treating people with herbs and taking care of the sick. And they have had great success. And they had in this study about 300 people come into the hospice. And now when you go into a hospice, this is the end of the line. There's nothing left for you for medicine. And so you're just being kept comfortable until you die, right? Well, these monks knew better than that. And they went ahead and treated all of these people with herbs. They also had them on a program of singing and dancing and talking about their feelings with each other in a group. And of the 300 people who entered the hospice, over 200 of them ended up going home with their cancer in remission. So that blew my mind to hear about that. And of course, they're feeding everybody a vegan diet while they're at the monastery and teaching them how to eat this way. And they're growing their own crops and it's all organic and they're not using any chemicals. So, you know, we can learn so much from these places and, you know, we can make a big deal out of, oh, they're treating people with this mixture they called Yad Ya Meringue, which in Thai means special medicine for cancer. So it really doesn't tell us anything about what's in it. And when you ask a lot of these herbalists what's in that mixture, they'll say 11 herbs. And I had a, a, one of the herbalists laugh whenever I said, how come it's always 11 herbs? And they said, we, some of these mixtures there's more than 11 some of them there's less than 11 but 11 sounds like a good number so a lot of times we say 11 so <laughs> we don't really I, I don't know even know if it was really 11 herbs that was in there but it turns out that when they did this scientific study and they went out and they said what we want to know is you know first of all we want you to have a placebo group and we want you to not give these herbs to some people so that we can have this be real science and the monks refused they said no or we're going to give the medicine to everybody. We're not going to deprive some people of the medicine and let them die so that you can have a scientific study. Sorry. So the scientists were disappointed. Okay, we don't get a placebo group. So, you know, at least we can just see what happens with this medicine. And then they started noticing that the monks were administering other herbs to people besides this special yad yam meringue. And they said, so what's going on with that? Can we just keep it? So you're just giving everybody the yad yam meringue. How are we ever going to have any good results for our scientific study here when we don't know what else you're giving people. And they said, well, everybody has unique needs based on their particular issues. Even if you have two people who both have kidney cancer, one of them have, might have something more going on emotionally than another person. Another person might have a past injury somewhere that's triggering it. There are many things that can cause a cancer or to exacerbate a cancer. And so, they were using different types of herbs depending on each person's particular needs. And so anyway, the scientists finally threw up their hands and said, we can't say any of these herbs for sure were the thing that causes these miraculous um, recoveries for these people. But what we can say is that something good is happening here. <laughs> What's going on here is successful and it needs more study. So anyway, after reading that study, I was very excited to maybe visit this monastery and learn what they were having. So Fish told me that she volunteers to this monastery quite often, and she put me in touch with a monk there and a nurse there. I spoke to them on the phone. We had great conversations. I learned a great deal about what they're doing there. Again, I'm writing a book about all of this. I've been you know, just collecting all of this information. And just, you know, it's very exciting stuff because curing cancer, I mean, that's something that our mainstream scientists has supposedly been looking for for a long time. But I will posit to you to think about this. I believe that every ailment that we have, there is a remedy for in a plant. On this planet, we have amazing resources in plants for healing us. Plants are where we have to look to for 
all of our sustenance. We say, let food be thy medicine. That's what Hippocrates said, the father of Western medicine. And now Western medicine has gotten so far away from that where they let people eat as much junk food as they want and then try to give people a pill and wonder why they can't turn around their, their health problems. Well, these herbs that I'm talking about, you know, there are things like turmeric, ginger, basil, oregano, that are things that anybody can get and put into their diet more. Eating vegan is something that anybody can do. All of these things are anti-cancer. You will prevent the illnesses. If you have the illnesses and you change your diet to eating vegan and eating whole foods that are organic, have no chemicals on them, that are you know, providing all these different nutrients because if you eat the rainbow, if you eat a variety of foods and you, you will end up getting all these different nutrients, Anyway, this is what's going on here, and it's so exciting to me because it just solidifies the beliefs that I already had that, you know, plants are the answer. You know, we're always trying to look to a laboratory to manufacture something. Well, every drug that we have has come into being because they noticed a medicinal benefit came from a plant. Take the aspirin, for instance. They took the willow bark. People had been taking that for thousands of years as a pain remedy, but of course they bear couldn't get a patent for willow bark, so they had to take it and extract something from it and put it into a pill, and now they sell it as aspirin. But you don't have to to take aspirin. You can take willow bark. You can drink willow bark tea, you know. And if you get your nutrients from whole foods, you probably already know this. That if you take something in its plant form, in its natural form, the way that it occurred, you're going to get much more benefit from it than you're going to get if you have something that's been extracted that doesn't have all the other components that were in that plant that also work together in conjunction and you know protect you from any side effects, protect you and add, add more to that. We're always finding out you know, this uh, drug is good if you combine it with that drug, and this herb is good if you combine it with that herb, and, you know, it's, nature works together like a beautiful symphony, and the less that we mess with it and pull it apart in a laboratory, the better, and so anyway, that is what the, the message is from herbal medicine, and what I'm finding out here, so anyway, so I spent my time there in Bangkok, and around Bangkok, and learning many things, and also going to some herbal stores in Bangkok that again were disappointing because anytime you go into the cities and you go into what they call an herbal store it's prepackaged herbs many times um, it's either things that you've already heard of uh, things that you could get at the grocery store you don't need to eat it in a pill it would, you're much better off getting it from a fresh source from the grocery store and you know it's organic and you know what's in it and anyway just so it, it just going to to these authentic places um, that are away from the cities is definitely the way to learn if you're interested in learning about herbal medicine. So that was my experience there in Thailand and very rich and fulfilling. And so now I am in Bali. I came to Kangu first uh, because I heard Kangu was this paradise for vegans and you know there's a beach there and all these digital nomads are going there and it's a cool place to be. So I knew I was going to travel around Bali a little bit, but I started in Kangu. Thank God, the way that I do things is I I didn't know where I wanted to stay. I'm a little bit leery of just picking a hotel based on price, even if it looks like it's in a decent location on the map. I have been burned before if I purchase it ahead of time, and then I get there, and it's actually a really bad neighborhood, and it's a really horrible hotel, and I don't want to stay there, but now I've already paid for it, and I'm locked in. And then I either lose money or I stay somewhere where I'm uncomfortable. So what I tend to do is I fly in and I make sure I get there early enough in the day. And then I take a cab to the area where I want to go. And I go to a vegan restaurant. And I'm going to want to eat at the vegan restaurant anyway. If it's a good vegan restaurant, and then I want my hotel to be near that vegan restaurant anyway. So I go to the vegan restaurant and then I just look around and say, what is around? And so... I went to what I thought was going to be one vegan restaurant. I can't even remember what it was called, but it didn't exist anymore. I got there and I just got so lucky that right across the street, because I was, I got there kind of late at night. It was like nine, ten o'clock at night. <clears throat> and um, 
right across the street from this vegan restaurant that it was no longer there was another vegan restaurant. And this is the cool thing about Bali. There's a lot of vegan restaurants and I really like that. So across the street was this restaurant called Alkaline. And so if you go to Kangoo, you must go to Alkaline. When you watch videos and you see the cool people hanging out in Bali and they're in nature and they're doing yoga and they're eating the fruit and the yummy fruit bowls and smoothies and just, you know, living the ideal life in Bali, it's at a place like Alkaline. Alkaline is this super cool place. Lots of bamboo, lots of natural uh, teak wood and um, grass thatched this and that and just uh, really beautiful the way that it's put together very naturey very 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 eco-friendly they have bags out in front where they encourage people to walk over to the beach because they're right next to the beach like it's two like less than a block to the beach uh, I don't even know how to say how far it is in feet but it's it's close it's very close to the beach um, there's only one hotel that's across the street that's a tiny bit closer. That hotel is $200 a night, uh, and they have a restaurant. It's not vegan. They have spinning. It's more expensive, posh, whatever. Go to Alkaline. And Alkaline has um, mostly dormitory-style hostel beds, but they also have a couple private rooms. Uh, one, I believe, is called Japan, and that is the one that has air conditioning. It's a private room. If you get lucky enough to be able to stay in the Japan room, that's ideal. And it's very inexpensive. I think it was like, I don't know, $20 or so US dollars or less a night. Um, at the most, it would be maybe 25 but it's for the, for the private room. But um, I didn't get to stay there because it was booked. I stayed at another hotel a little bit down the street. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it thing that I ended up really disliking about Kangoo is there are so many people raising chickens in their backyards and there's actually a place that calls itself a poultry farm that's really close to the beach there that also has a hotel. There are roosters crowing starting at 3 o'clock in the morning and crowing you know, all through the morning so it's very hard to get a good night's sleep and it's sad if you're vegan you're picturing in your mind and I, I saw this myself by peeking over the edge there's little tiny cages that they're keeping all these chickens in. I have roosters that were kept underneath a basket that looked like a laundry basket turned upside down. So it could barely move around, couldn't see the sun. And it's just standing there just crowing all day long like, somebody please release me. And believe me, I wanted to. But there was nowhere for me to take a rooster. And, you know, I didn't have a carrier. Um, so it was just a sad thing to have to witness. So... When I was in Chiang Mai, I didn't mention this, but I did rescue an injured pigeon, and I did help get a whole bunch of uh, cats off the street and get them spayed and neutered and find homes for some of them. So that was that's always a fun thing I like to do when I'm traveling. If I'm going to be somewhere long enough, if I see there's a problem with the animals, I will find a local animal rescue group. I will ask them if they're interested in helping out with this, and I will offer to pay for what goes on. And the vet care is so cheap in Thailand that I had a cat that had an abscess in its jaw that had to be hospitalized for over a week. I think it ended up costing like $30. I mean, every night that he stayed in the hotel, it cost like $4. I mean, not the hotel, the hospital, the veterinary hospital, uh, $4. So don't hesitate, especially if you're in an Asian country where everything is so cheap. If you see animals in need, Find the local animal rescue group. Ask them if you can sponsor a rescue for a neighborhood. Uh, sponsor the spay and neuter. It's cheap. You can feel like you did something great to help out. So anyway, did that. But whenever I got to Kangoo, wasn't really able to help that much. So that was just sad. There's a lot of dogs running around, big dogs. Sometimes it can be a little sketchy when you go down an alleyway and you can confront a bunch of these dogs and they'll start growling at you and coming at you. You need to turn around and go the other way. Because, you know, the, these dogs are pushed around and scared by scooters going by all the time. They don't get a chance to be in the alpha position very often. So when they get that opportunity, they're going to take it. And I don't want to push it and end up with a bite. And, you know, who knows, um, these poor dogs living on the street, they might have some kind of an illness. And I don't want to catch it. So 
anyway, uh, that is another problem they have. There are people who have, they, they call these dogs theirs. They put a collar on the dog and they'll feed the dog, but they still let it run around loose on the streets and they end up with injuries. They don't get vet care. And then I saw a few cats running around in Kangoo also, young cats, and they were also scared to death by the scooters. They seemed to be wild. There was, of course, no way of catching them and helping them. I didn't have access to traps, couldn't find a rescue group. I was only there for two, no, actually I was there for five nights, but I just, it was such a short stay and there was so many things going on that, it, you know, I just ended up bearing witness to a lot of sadness with the animals there. So I wasn't crazy about Kangoo, but if you find yourself in Kangoo, definitely go to Alkaline. There's also another vegan restaurant there called Kind, which is spelled K-Y-N-D. It's posh, it's beautiful, it's upscale, food is delicious, it's very popular. They have another location in Seminyak, and Seminyak is like the next town over from Kangoo that is um, more of nightclubs and more of, of shops and things like that. Um, I didn't go there because I wasn't really interested in nightclubs, but if you are and you find yourself in that area, definitely check out Kind, really good food. Um, the beach itself, it's a place for surfing, big waves in Kangoo, lots of surf lessons available there. Uh, I found uh, some people on the actual sand on the beach selling vegan food with the food written on a chalkboard. So of course I bought some food from them. So that was pretty cool to find a quote unquote vegan restaurant on the sand in Kangoo. Um, the beach itself, there's not as much nature around the beach as I would like. There's just been so much construction going on in Kangoo, and there was even more construction going on while I was there. Construction dust. There's not a whole lot of nature left, like I said, and there's a lot of plastic waste on the beach. I ended up picking up garbage there. When I would go out and watch the sunset, I would pick up garbage. I came out the next morning to watch the sun rise and do my yoga, pick up garbage. Um, so... And I, and I was a little bit disappointed that nobody joined in and helped me. But like I said, I think I mentioned this, Alkaline offers bags uh, for you to pick up garbage on the beach. And if you're willing to go down and pick up plastic waste, put it in the bag. They have all kinds of recycling available at Alkaline. And they'll give you a free cookie for picking up some plastic waste on the beach, which is awesome. And there's a really awesome person who works at Alkaline uh, named Rima. And I recommend that you go in and talk to her. She's very knowledgeable about herbal medicine and longtime vegan. And she, like she said, she manages Alkaline. She's a local and she's very fun to talk to. So she was showing me around. They ha also grow all kinds of herbs at Alkaline. Uh, they have like what they call an eco permaculture setup for the whole place so you can walk around and you can look at all the different herbs and they have them labeled with the name of the herb and what uh, the herb is good for and then they sell some of the herbs uh, dried or as tea and um, they utilize moringa quite a bit in a lot of their food dishes and um, what else it's interesting that they have kratom there and they think of that as an herbal medicine and use it in many ways I've heard a lot of bad things about Kratom um, health-wise, so I did not go there and try any of that, but there were quite a lot of other herbs there that I found interesting that I did learn a lot of things about and look up the science on them, and the science did back it up. So, um, so that was an interesting learning experience. I talked to a few other locals um, in the area about herbs and learned a few more things. Again, wrote, writing all this stuff down for my book. Finally left Kangoo thinking, you know, maybe Bali isn't what I thought it was in the movies. Maybe it was all hype. Uh, although I, I had an opportunity to go to Uluwatu, which you take a boat from Kangu across to Uluwatu. It's a 40-minute boat ride, which is faster than if you were to drive because the traffic is so bad it takes an hour and a half to get to Uluwatu. I was going to do that, but then it started raining, and my whole plan to go to Uluwatu was to snorkel. I knew that was going to make the visibility impossible, and... I really just was ready to just come to Ubud. So anyway, ended up, instead of going to Luwatu, left, came to Ubud. And I'm so glad I did. I took a cab ride. It took about an hour. And I arrived in Ubud yesterday and did the same thing as I did in Kangoo, which I had the cab driver take me to a vegan restaurant. I had heard about this place called Alchemy. And I was so glad that I did that because Alchemy 
is amazing. Gorgeous, beautiful, big, just nice, nice. I don't. I can't say enough good things about how beautiful and nice this restaurant is. And the food, a big extensive menu with all kinds of things, all the healthy stuff that I love. Um, you know, just got the salads and the smoothies and the smoothie bowls and uh, all kinds of fresh things and curries. And but it also has burgers and pizzas and um, a vegan ice cream bar and. I don't even know it. There's, there's all kinds of like little bars that they have where you can go and put together cool things, and you know the seating is just uh, done in a way that's just like uh, casual but nice. And it's really hard to describe like this. And the lighting is just so nice, and everything in there is like beige, and it's just it's just really cool. So I love that place. Oh, amazing desserts by the way. Huge dessert case with all kinds of cool things chocolatey things and pies and cakes and uh just but everything is like very upscale and very nice but the prices are amazing you know that's the cool thing about being in asia is like the prices um are the exchange rate with the american dollar is so good that you can have this amazing huge meal with all these really great things for like maybe 10 15 dollars a person and uh, you know i think i had I just had a salad. I think it was, you know, I don't know, maybe six or seven dollars. Um, so, and it was a huge salad with a lot of really good stuff in it. And they have a nice gift shop there. They sell all kinds of herbal things. Um, herbal medicine has become part of mainstream. And I think this is happening all over the world that any place that tends to lean towards health, whether it be health food or, you know, exercise, whether like it's a yoga place or something like that, they tend to find um, the sale of herbal items, whether it be teas or sometimes they put them in pill form uh, or what have you. But it's really nice when it's a place where they have people working there who are knowledgeable about the herbs, who can talk about them and, uh, give you some information although I would not just trust anybody who's selling herbs to tell you that their herbs are awesome because of course they're going to say that because they're selling something so take a few minutes and google it on your phone look up scholar.google.com and you will find the scientific articles you punch in that herb and try to just do a real quick look there if you don't like reading scientific articles because you don't like reading that jargon which I get a lot of people telling me that just go ahead and google the name of the herb and say side effects and you will find some mainstream websites like WebMD or sometimes Livestrong, some of these other very easy to read websites that will tell you some side effects. And just be wary if they say this herb has been known to cause damage to the liver or the kidneys or something like that. And either don't take it or if it really is going to do something amazing that you absolutely need, take it in a very small amount for a very small amount of time just to handle the ailment that you want to treat, but don't uh, don't keep taking it and don't take it in a large amount, especially when you start off. It's always wise to start with herbs in a very small amount. And it's always wise to only take them when you need them for an ailment. Herbs are medicine, just remember that. I mean, unless we're talking about herbs like oregano and basil and some of the really benign mainstream herbs, you can take those as many as you want every day. But if we're talking about something like Symboloto, you know, which you're taking as an antibiotic or you're taking to clear up some kind of a rash or something, take it in a small amount, take it for a small amount of time and then stop because yes, it can cause damage if you keep taking it or you take it in a large amount. But if you take it in a small enough amount, you can get the herbal benefit from it. And you will usually, if you don't already have a, a condition, you'll be fine. So anyway, just educate yourself about these things. If you have any questions, you can always reach out and DM me. I'm available on Facebook, um, B. Carrie, and I'm always available through Vegan Health and Fitness, uh, through the Facebook, through Instagram, through the website. I don't know if we have a, a connection on the website for communicating with me, so social media is probably the best place. So anyway, um, so now that I'm here in Ubud, and I've found... Um, alchemy which was amazing for food amazing for herbs um they have a place across the street from it where they have 
some really nice yoga shalas that are like these big domes that are just done in the most beautiful artistic way. I did a meditation class there. I did ecstatic dance there last night. Uh, it was it's really nice. And now I'm staying in a hotel that's right next to that. That's very gardeny, super cheap. I think it was like $18 a night. It's a really nice room. Um, like I said, it's a great location. So um, anyway, th these are some things that I would recommend to you to try. What I have done here, if you come here, you will love it. Last night, I walked up the street to a restaurant called Zest, which is a very awesome vegan restaurant. Also, uh, definitely recommend Zest. It's gorgeous. It's huge. It's got the cool uh, Bali gods, goddesses all over inside there. And then as you look out, you see above the canopy of the trees and the gorgeous view. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful place. And they also have amazing food and really nice herbal teas. They really specialize in teas there. They have a really nice tea room with all different kinds of herbal tea. Again, anytime you're taking herbs, even in a tea, if it's something that you've never heard of or you've never tried before, I recommend doing a quick search for it, looking what the side effects are, looking at what scientific studies have said. I found that in some places that are very reputable herbal shops, where I'm talking to somebody who's very knowledgeable, who had the herbs passed down in their family for generations, they will recommend something to me and I'll do a quick search for it and I'll find that that herb has caused scarring in the kidneys. And they were not aware of that because they're prescribing it to people in small doses for certain things. And they might be prescribing it mostly to young people or people who don't have these problems and they're only taking it for a short period of time. But if you have had problems with your kidneys in the past or you're an older person, you don't want to take chances on things like that because your body doesn't recover as quickly as it does when you're younger. So it's always a good idea to look these things up. We have our phones that have this uh, access to information, so I just want to encourage you to do that. So anyway, I'm going to sign off for now. That is my update on my wonderful educational experience that I'm having thus far. After I leave Ubud, I'm going to be going to Hong Kong. I'm going to be studying some traditional Chinese medicine there. I'm going to be then going to Goa, India to uh, study some Ayurveda stuff. And I may hit Sardinia because it's a blue zone uh, location and I've always wanted to visit it. It's kind of on the way. Uh, so I'm going to continue to make these podcasts and let you know what I'm up to. Um, sharing information with you guys about the awesome vegan restaurants, about the cool places to learn things, about health and wellness. I, I just found out that there is a place in Hong Kong called Vegan Fitness. It's a vegan fitness center where people go and work out and they have, uh, I guess, nutritionists there who specifically coach people on how to achieve their fitness goals eating a vegan diet. So I'm really excited about that. That's in Hong Kong. I plan on visiting there and I will report back to you guys about what that's all about and about the best restaurants that I find there. And again, as I go to these places, I don't have the time to visit every single restaurant. And I didn't even mention to you guys the awesome restaurants in Chiang Mai. Uh, just real quick, let me just mention the best vegan restaurant in Chiang Mai is called Good Souls. It's amazing. Food is amazing. The ambiance is amazing. You get to go inside, nice and air conditioned, very com comfy, cozy. That's really awesome. I uh, really like that place a lot. Uh, there's a place called Freebirds that's also really awesome. Um, they don't have as much air conditioning where you're seated, so that's why it's not my favorite, but the food is great. They have a ginkgo, not a ginkgo, I'm sorry. I keep getting ginkgo biloba and um, go-to cola mixed up because they're so similar and, and just in, in the wording and they do look the same similarly uh, plant-wise. But anyway, they have a um, go-to cola salad. Go-to cola is another herb that's very popular here that you may have heard of. It's good for your brain. Um, it's good for so many things for cleansing. And anyway, they have a salad there made out of those leaves and it's really tasty. Uh, so I recommend that if you're really into health and herbs and you wanna try something um, that gives you both of those things. Freebirds is pretty cool. They also have a thrift store in there. They're very eco-friendly. They're also very active in the community with the, helping the uh, local animals. 
So I really like Freebirds Cafe a lot. Um, there's, uh, there are some restaurants that you will, where you will find, well, there's one chain of restaurants that's uh, got organic food that you may have trouble finding because the name of it is always written in Thai. It's never written in English. Uh, it's Okisho, Ohijo, I believe is how you pronounce it, but it, it doesn't matter because you will never see it written that way. So if you just search for organic restaurants, there's an organic restaurant that there's a chain of, and they have a section of their menu that's vegan and vegetarian that's very good. Um, but as far as some of the other vegan restaurants go in Chiang Mai, I had trouble getting there because uh, I would drive all the way to there, which was not easy, and I get there, and there's a piece of paper on the window that says we're closed today, which really pisses me off. Vegan restaurants tend to do this a lot, and I know that anybody else like me will never go back there again because you don't want to waste your time on a taxi, you know, driving or paying for a taxi or driving a rental car through the mazes that you have to go through in some of these cities and you get all the way there and you, their hours have been posted online and they're supposed to be open and there's a damn sign on the, on the window that says that they're closed. It's very frustrating. I won't name any names because I, I have this rule. If I can't say something nice, I won't say anything at all. So just know if I'm not mentioning the vegan restaurant, it may be one of those that does that. So just beware. If you have the opportunity, if you have a SIM card and you can call the restaurant first and make sure that they're open, do that. But good souls, you can always count on. Freebirds, you can always count on in Chiang Mai. And there's another restaurant called Alchemy that's in Chiang Mai that is not related to this Alchemy here in Ubud. It's very different than this one. It's small. Uh, it's owned by this uh, really nice uh, Australian guy. And um, anyway, uh, it's really good food and it's in the old Chiang Mai district, so I recommend that place also. Um, so if, you're, if you find yourself in any of these areas, try out these restaurants uh, and you will not be disappointed in 2023. Anyway, those restaurants do exist and they are delicious. So I'm gonna sign off for now and I'll talk to you later. I don't know where I will be and I'll have another update on uh, more vegan restaurants and vegan yoga places and um, other types of fitnessy things as I come across them I, and herbs and all that good stuff. So until then, I wish you all health and happiness. Namaste.